Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Jimmy Martin, co-founder of Burn, a cool temp fitness studio out of New York City. After testing out in a Brooklyn fridge, Jimmy realized that cool temp studios are much more efficient for a workout due to the unawareness of sweat and fatigue. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Jimmy Martin of Burn. Jimmy, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Cameron, uh, the pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I want to start out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Yeah, once upon a time, there was a family, the Martin family, and they had a son on January <laughs> 1985 in a small town called Forty Fort, Pennsylvania, which is about 15 to 20 minutes south of Scranton. And uh, we all know Scranton from Joe Biden and also mm-hmm. the, the incredible TV show, The Office. So yeah. Um, born and raised, uh, my mom's a small town hairdresser. My dad was a respiratory therapist, uh, and cardiovascular sonographer, um, at a hospital and, um, you know, had that typical small town sports centric upbringing. Um, but, um, you know, fitness has always been the backdrop of my upbringing. And, you know, uh, I've been very fortunate to have experienced a lot of different things, uh, throughout my life to help inform, you know, where I am today with, uh, as, as, as a person and also as a, as a business owner. Yeah, for sure. So you said fitness had a lot to do with your upbringing. So what athletics were you involved with like sports growing up as a kid? Yeah. You know, it, so started pretty young You know, I would say like kindergarten, um, you know, it started with T-ball and then progressed its way to, you know, soccer, which I wasn't great at, um, baseball, which was, which was, uh, something that I had done up until, um, I got to high school, but the two sports that really stood out that I actually, you know, later in my life when, when getting recruited for college, uh, football and wrestling were the two sports that I had done, okay. um, all throughout the year, specifically wrestling. Yeah. Um, and wrestling was the sport that allowed me to get a division one scholarship, uh, to, to George Mason university in, in Northern Virginia, awesome. um, you know, many years later. Awesome. So did you have an entrepreneurship mindset growing up as well, say like a lemonade stand, or did you have any, ever sell any products growing up? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did a lemonade stand, but I yeah. drank all the lemonade, so I wasn't really sell, so it was a bad sell. Um, mm-hmm. I was just selling my, my uh, you know, uh, my, my very thirsty self. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, you know, growing up in a, uh, in, a, in a household where your mom's beauty shop is, is connected to your house, you know, I kind of, I didn't realize that I was seeing entrepreneurship, you know, at, you know, firsthand for sure uh, until like later in my life. So like, I, I just, I always loved how, you know, my mom was a, a, she's a sole proprietor. She, you know, single operator, um, has never paid for an, an ad, uh, you know, uh, in the 40 plus years that she's been in business. Mm. She's still working today. She's in her sixties. Okay. Um, she looks good for her sixties. So shout <laughs> out to my mom. Um, good genetics, but, um, you know, just seeing how the, like the difference that she made uh, at the ground floor with with people, you know, people mm-hmm. of all um, backgrounds, all different stages of their life. I just love that the intimacy that can come from uh, sharing an incredible experience uh, with another person. So yeah, yeah, I think like that that was really the inciting incident. And then you know, in college, years later. Um, like I won an entrepreneurship competition, mm. um, a, a silly idea that I didn't think had, had any legs. And, um, you know, that started to really get me thinking about what, what could the future hold? Um, 
And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of what got me to where I am today was just a, a combination of, of, of setbacks as much as, uh, as much as it was, oppor- you know, opportunities to take advantage of. For sure. So I saw you went to, like you stated earlier, George Mason University, and you went in 2003, correct? Yeah, 2003 to 2007. Okay. okay. What, what did you study there? Uh, I was, I have a bachelor's in um, interpersonal communication and a minor in business management. So, uh, so basically I wanted to make sure that it would be very hard for me to find a job after college. <laughs> gotcha. So what was your overall experience like there? Were you involved with any clubs? You said wrestling? Yeah. So like student athletics was at the forefront mm-hmm. of that experience. I mean, you know, had gotten close to a full scholarship to, to wrestle there. Mm. And, um, you know, the good thing about George Mason university is that it really did honor the word student in front of athlete. It was a very intimate environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, years late, you know, three years into my four year experience, you know, our, our basketball team made it to the final four. They were like oh, wow. the Cinderella team. And it was, it was an incredible moment to have like global presence for our, for our, um, you know, our, our wonderful university. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I typically I wasn't the type of guy that like just felt comfortable being a student athlete. Like I, I, I you know, I, I loved in, involving myself in in other experiences with with um with college. Specifically, I was part of this thing called Mason Ambassadors, where I gave tours of the school. Okay. Um, you know, and and I I wanted to do forensics, but I just didn't have the time. But I took classes with the. The, the, the coach of, of that team, which, which was like nationally ranked at that time. Mm. And it really allowed me to understand the power of, of the written word and then how to properly convey it, you know, through performance, yeah. um, which kind of led me into my pursuits of wanting to, you know, write and perform uh, after college. Awesome. And then you stated about an entrepreneurship project. I'm, I'm fascinated with that. So what did you do for that project exactly? Yeah. So that's, oh my gosh. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm kind of going back in time for a second. So yeah. like in 2006, 2007, I took an entrepreneurship class with a woman who was, she had worked in the, I think, I don't know if she was a patent clerk, okay. uh, but she had worked at the patent office in, um, in DC. And, you know, you had to grab a, you know, you had to um, work with a, a few people in your class to develop, to like literally develop a business from scratch, hmm. you know, uh, specifically product centric. And at that time, you know, as a, as a D1 athlete, I was, you know, we, we wore like Under Armour um, shirts and, and, you know, wrestlers typically, well, not typically wrestlers train um, mostly a hundred percent of the time in, in like a very hot, sweaty uh, room to, mm-hmm. to cut weight. So, you know, I had this, this idea of, a, and I was also going to DC with friends to like, you know, to, to dance clubs and stuff. And I was just tired of, um, of just having my, my hard work, so to speak, uh, be shown on my sleeves, like just like drenched walking out of a club, you know, just yeah. feeling like, oh my God, like this, I, I look, I, I look and feel miserable. <laughs> um, so I thought like, you know, what if there was a clothing line specifically for people who are either um, hip hop dancers or people who just like to go out dancing, um, that allowed for a little bit more breathability and flexibility in their clothes. Mm. So, it's like, if un- it's as if Under Armour had come out with a just like 
a, a clothing line beyond just like athletic stuff, which they eventually you know yeah. have, have done. But this was again, this is like in 2006. So I called the brand Groove, you know, G R O O V E, and the mm-hmm. and the symbol in the middle was I believe like an eighth note, okay. and the whole tagline was Get Into It. So it was like I you know this is my first like stab at like writing a tagline, coming up with a logo you know, finding a way to show why our brand made more sense than our competitors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, I did like a funny act out with like, this is what our brand does. And this is what other brands do. And I like purposely had my friends, you know, rip holes in their jeans or like <laughs> have their shirt be super sweaty. It was, again, it was very much like performance art in the class. Yeah. But there was like over like 50 or so people from all the classes that presented and we won that competition. Wow. And I remember the instru- the uh, teacher being like, hey, like, this is actually a really interesting idea. Um, have you ever thought about potentially pursuing it? And I was like, oh, no, I mean, I'm thinking about coming going to New York to be an actor and writer. So, you know, but I, I, I appreciate that. And she was just kind of like, <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Well, uh, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. So um, little did I know that the the tribulations of an entrepreneur are very similar to the to the tribulations of, of someone trying to uh, be seen and heard as a writer and performer in New York. Absolutely. So I've seen in some other schools and universities that they, they're actually allowed to pitch to real investors. Was that an idea with your school at all? Or was this mainly just to get you guys to brainstorm? Yeah, you know, uh, she was the, you know, she she was the, the person that was the main judge, but I believe in order to make the decision, um, of who won there were other people that she consulted with but mm-hmm. um it wasn't uh yeah it wasn't to any we pitched it only to her okay. so um so yeah from, from from what i remember but yeah um but you know like it definitely was great practice to like have to lay something down to evoke a certain feeling behind uh, uh, you know this imaginary product and to and to, to sell her and the rest of the class on potentially buying into it you know mm-hmm. so um, but you know, the, it, it, it's, it's so interesting. Like I have zero fear now of, of, you know, talking about brands or talking, yeah. talking about my brand and talking about things in front of people, because having had so many failed auditions as an actor and so many jokes turned down, um, as a writer, uh, you know, you kind of build up this, like, you know, this, uh, second skin, <laughs> this, like, yeah. you get catalyst, uh, For sure. not necessarily in a negative way, but you know, you just sort of build a tolerance to the word no, yeah. um, because you know, eventually that it will lead to an eventual yes. For sure. So prior to burn, what kind of jobs were you working at this time then following college? Oh my God. What jobs didn't I do? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so moving to, so the, the funny, but also the sad thing was, is like, I thought I had a job right when I moved here with the container store, which is a, which is a store here in New York city. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I was trying to do like an overnight stock, be like an overnight stock associate. So I would have time during the day that, so I thought to, uh, to go out on auditions and do whatever. Um, but then I get there and I realized I didn't even get in it. I, I was miss, like someone had written an email that wasn't correct like i didn't i actually never had an interview so i went up there um and you know basically moved there without a job and without a job interview and and said oh shit i have to find a job now to pay rent so you know so i found you know the 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 one thing that a lot of actors and and writers and anybody who's entertainment do if they're not working in the restaurant industries like they do like promo marketing so i found like this you know this place that hired you know, extroverted 
um, actors and and perform in, and uh, other 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 artists to pass out like newspapers and to work certain like catering gigs and stuff. And so I like I found a home with that and um, also did a brief stint uh, as a nude art model, uh, which was actually <laughs> paid very well. Um, but I, I slowly walked away from that after my dad during the holiday times was like, you realize you get that most people get dressed to go to work and you get undressed to go to work. Are you okay with that? I'm like, dad, it pays close to $1,500 in cash per week. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty good with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, it was that Cameron. It was, I, you know, I was doing improv and sketch comedy in the city, which is where, where I really found my home with, with, uh, with performing in New York. And I got job, I got a job as a greeting card writer. Okay. And then that led, that led to getting a job as a copywriter, uh, which allowed me to work on, you know, award-winning brands such as uh, like Manhattan Mini Storage, Seagram's Gin, oh, wow. Park Fast. Um, a lot of the a lot of the, the campaigns I worked on are still running um, in in the city today, which is awesome. which is years later. So that's that was a lot of fun, and and like I said, like all of those part-time jobs allowed me to have you know a vantage point about what it means to to be a part-time employee, and and eventually having my own business and, and understanding the, you know, the, the struggle of having a job that, that is just a, a placeholder for, for the bigger thing. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that was really good insight because I really didn't have a full-time job until, until burn happened. Okay. Um, so yeah, but that's, that's, that's it. <laughs> so yeah. Where were you living at the time then if in, in New York? Yeah. So I, I moved to, I, I moved with a buddy to union city, New Jersey, okay. um, and then uh, eventually moved to uh, Weehawken, which was like you know right right across the street. So essentially, if you're if you're familiar or not familiar with with just like New York and everything around it, so like Weehawken is right above Hoboken, okay, and um, it's just very, it's very close. It's minutes away from the city, and um, so would take a bus into the city to and from work. Um, what I didn't mention was I also worked as a private trainer. So I worked you know or first okay. as a as a, as a train, a personal trainer at a gym, and then eventually as a private trainer. So that that was really the job that was helping me stay afloat because I had, you know, I had clients that were C-suite execs, some celebrities in mm. film, fashion, and entertainment, um, and that really allowed me to build the confidence to sell myself by helping other people. For sure. Um, so so so, but yeah, but going back to where I lived, yeah, lived in Jersey. Um, and then eventually moved into, uh, in, into Manhattan in Washington Heights and then moved to Brooklyn and then, uh, and now, uh, currently reside back in Weehawken, uh, with my wife. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So I actually, uh, I'm a touring drummer as well. So I go to, uh, Brooklyn a few times a year until COVID hit. So I'm pretty familiar with what you're talking about here, but yeah, um, Brooklyn and Manhattan, Joe's pizza. I, I have to mention that. Man, oh gosh, yeah, Joe's is great. <laughs> I'm from Indiana, and there's nothing like it. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Joe's Pizza. There's uh, another one that we would go to late at night, which you know I always burn the first layer of skin off the roof of my mouth, uh, which is Artichoke Pizza. Okay, um, it's uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Um you know, it the the pizza the pizza scene here in New York is is unmatched. I mean, I I, sure. I, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and we have really good pizza in Pennsylvania, specifically in the old forge area and um you know people who are from that area would say oh it's the best pizza in the world but i think you know really anybody who lives anywhere will say that if they're pr proud oh, of yeah. the things from that area 
um, you know, when The Office came out in Scranton, like Scranton was like, oh my God, you know, it, it was once, it, Scranton was coined as the electric city, but there was really nothing electric about it until The Office kind of put it back on the map. So like, yeah. it, it's still it's still riding the coattails of For that sure. show today. Yeah. <laughs> so you founded Burn in 2017. So what was the overall inspiration behind pursuing Burn at this time? Yeah, I mean... It kind of starts in a in a very sensitive place, and then kind of, and then has um, you know a, I would say a heroic finish. But um, mm-hmm. you know I, I was I was getting tired of doing a bunch of different things. I mean, it was to have to juggle a bunch of part time jobs is is no easy task. And um, in 2013, I I was training a client at a at a corporate gym, and it was in the summertime, and she was. Uh, she was feeling a little faint because because it was actually getting as hot inside as it was outside. Mm-hmm. Something was wrong with the air conditioner. And so she was kind of feeling a little faint and we were taking it easy. And then she just started talking about how she loves fall and winter and how it's it, it's it's they were seasons for her that she was her fittest uh, and felt her best. Mm-hmm. And and she was explaining about the science of of, of why, you know, why she likes to sleep in the cold, why she just loves the cold more than the, than the heat. And it was interesting to me. And, you know, being a wrestler, I thought for the longest time, if I wasn't like excessively sweating, my workout wasn't good enough. Yeah. Um, so, so that like kind of like hit a, like a light bulb went off right there. And I was like, so if she like 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 in her opinion, like being her fittest, which means like she was able to perform much better under those conditions than than he she had you know felt trim and and the most toned while running and working out outdoors. Mm-hmm. So I was like, if if that's true, if she felt good and also looked good in her opinion, then why aren't we turning the thermostat down when it comes to private or group exercise? Yeah. And so I went I went home and I googled cold gyms or cool workouts and i couldn't find anything and i'm like really good at finding stuff on google (laughs) and i was really frustrated so what i did find was just some preliminary research about how you know the body has to work harder to stay warm than it does to to dump heat and that sweating is just a, a a mechanism a defense mechanism for your body to dump heat so that your organs don't melt so that you can remain at 98.6. It has nothing to do with the quality of a workout. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I just got into it. And I, and I found that like, you know, there are no marathons that happen in the summer. They're like in the fall and the spring. And that, that there's, that's for a reason. And, you know, got on to this guy named Ray Cronice, who was a, a former NASA scientist who um, incorporated a little bit of cold into his life to, to lose weight and to feel better after he observed that, Michael Phelps was consuming thousands and thousands of calories per day, but not gaining any weight, actually getting stronger and getting better. Hmm. And the reason was, is because he was training in a cooler temperature pool and water is 24 times more thermoconductive than air. Mm -hmm. And so he was just dumping heat, dumping heat and burning calories uh, without knowing that he was doing that, you know, without knowing. Right. So, so like that got me, thinking about this. And so like, I came up with the name burn, you know, B triple R N because it was a pun off of burning calories and burr like you're cold. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like the point. And then, you know, two months later, after thinking the idea and just having it be another folder on my computer, um, 
my my wife had been diagnosed with cancer oh. um my my first wife and mm. um after seven months of chemotherapy and being told she was cancer free and then being told that it came back and was terminal um she she unfortunately lost her life may 12th of 2014 oh, i'm sorry at, um, when she was 29 thanks man. man um and i was 29 as well and you know you don't expect to go through that no in, in your life so early you know and being a guy that was trying to make a career out of helping people whether to make them laugh or to make them sweat it really did it messed me up like yeah. i i changed and i changed for the for the worse and and but more for the better um because i realized just how 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 quick life could just be gone you know without sure. without without your control right and to really make the most of the time we have here so before my wife passed, like, you know, one thing that she had said to me when we were just sort of talking to each other in hospice, she was just like, you know, Jimmy, she's, she's like burns, burns the thing, you know, um, it's, it's, you know, it's the thing that I'll be the, the, the it's the proudest thing that I'll never get to see come to fruition. Mm. She's like, this is what you'll be known for. This is be one of the things that you'd be known for. And it's the thing that will allow you to make the most difference in this world. Wow. And so I just felt like there there was a responsibility to to live up to that, you know, that sure. blessing that she gave. Um, and so when I came back two months later from after her passing, I lived at my parents' house for two months to kind of understand what what life was going to be like after after Lynn. Mm -hmm. And I, I was on my computer and I saw that burn folder. And I said, I'm going to I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket. I'm going to make this thing come true. And I met my business partner a month or two later. He, he was a private trainer uh, in the same uh, studio that I was in. And he was a former public health official. He was a, a guy that had a career in public health. And, okay. um, and he, he just seemed like the right guy. Mm -hmm. And I had a conversation with him uh, in a coffee shop in New York. And he said, this seems incredible. Let me just get, get back to you. And he wrote me a caps lock email the next day saying, holy shit, we got to do this together. Yeah, that's awesome. So where did Burn start? Where was your first facility then? Yeah, so well, before, before <laughs> it, it, took, it took a while to get to that, to opening the doors. For sure. So, yeah. you know, you know when, you're, when you're trying to be, you know, the new kid on the block when, you know, I, well, first I want to start by saying that I think it's the job of every innovator to improve the, the systems of their predecessors. Mm. So we knew that we were doing something that hasn't been done for done before in the industry. So there's already that like red flag and that caution that you have to take with being the first mover in the space. Yes. Cause you know, this is the first impression that you're going to make. So we, it, it better be a good one. So, Luckily, Johnny, with his public health background, was like, "We gotta do trials. We gotta, we gotta figure this thing out internally before we try to sell it to other people." Um, and so, we did a trial at in Six Point Brewery's beer fridge in Brooklyn with just Johnny and myself. Okay. Um, we filmed it. It was very silly, um, <laughs> but it was extremely uh, beneficial because we were like, "Wow!" Like, it was 38 degrees. It was a certain level of humidity that was safe to exercise in. And we we were buzzing after. We're like, wow! I feel encouraged to move. I feel better moving in this type of environment. And then he's like, okay, we got to do it on other people. So 
I was fortunate to have a friend of mine who owns an ice factory in like in my in my hometown. And I said, Hey man, how warm can you get this without losing all of your product? And he's like, 30 degrees. I'm like, done. So I got some of my mom's beauty shop customers and some of my friends from back home who were like former athletes. And we did this trial with like 14 people in 30 degrees. And they loved it. They were like, whoa, this is like different, you know? Yeah. And so we got data and then we realized that we didn't know how to run a business. So I said, I told Johnny, like, I got another friend um, who is one of my private clients. And he's a former investment banker and, and commercial real estate guy. And then Johnny's like, are you sure you're not in the mafia? I'm like, I swear to God, I'm not in the mafia. I don't just know a guy. <laughs> so he, so I, I approached this guy um, and sold him on the sizzle. And he's like, I'll, I want to be uh, a founding partner and your first investor. And that got the ball rolling with creating a pitch deck and then eventually having 300 failed pitches um, before we heard our first no. I mean, like literally think about wow. virtually and face-to-face, -face, a combination of both, being told, no, you're crazy 300 times. Mm. Uh, I mean, I built, again, a tolerance of no from being told uh thanks, but no thanks as an actor and as a writer, but, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, watching 300 episodes of shark tank, not go the, the way that, that the people, you know, that the, the, the entrepreneurs <laughs> want to, to go, For sure. uh, uh, is very depressing, but we eventually got, you know, it, it was a friends and family round. We raised close to a million and a half dollars and opened up our location in the most competitive, uh, fitness area in the world in the Flatiron Chelsea district of Manhattan mm. on, May, on May 1st, 2018. Wow, that, that's amazing. So did you have to do any construction to maintain the cold temperatures that your studio requires or is it simply just turning the thermostat down? Yeah, no, it's it's a patent pending process. Okay. Uh, we, we were fortunate to have an investor and um, you know, a, a gentleman uh, by the name of Peter Bryant who built a lot of the first soul cycles in, in Manhattan and in other places across the country. And he was a former hockey player, like a semi-pro hockey player. And so he got refrigeration and he understood what we were trying to do. And we worked with him and his team of like mechanical and electrical and civil engineers to, um, to really find the best way to refrigerate the space in a cost-effective way uh, that had a very low carbon footprint and uh, actually helped refrigerate the rest of the studio, you know? So like yeah. we really spent, we spent six to eight months mapping this out before we did anything. And so uh, luckily we're on the ground floor and that really helped us with, with being able to design this the right way. And, mm -hmm. you know, we had this like 2000 square foot, you know, this 2,800 square foot space uh, in, in, in this, you know, which was a former beer and cheese shop, okay. ironically. <laughs> um, and, and tried to make a, a fridge that, would be able to house 24 to 30 people in a, in a class. Um, but, uh, but the, the challenge was, what do we do in this fridge, you know, in yeah. terms of exercise? <laughs> so what did your layout look like? Was it only cold temperatures inside the studios or like the lobby? Was that also refrigerated or how did this look? Yeah. For as much as I would love people to be cool, uh, the entire time, uh, you know, we, we, we knew that, um, the, the fridge was the selling point and you know the the, the look of the fridge. i'm sure you can go on the internet and see videos but we had a very 
beautiful like glass door like it was a really nice key piece it was it was like our instagrammable <laughs> moment every time people came they, they took a photo in front of the fridge door you know with yeah. the thermostat right there um but you know imagine like a an opera ski lodge like an aspen lodge feel like you walk in okay. you see repurposed wood everywhere um you have an incredibly warm experience with our you know with our team and then a very chill experience with our workouts which by the way wasn't at 30 degrees it was at 50 degrees fahrenheit because we realized through like the science and also through our personal experience that 50 was like the sweet spot so yeah. we did 50 minutes of exercise in 50 degrees and did a variety of different exercises one of which um is this thing called a slide a slide board and it's mm -hmm. like this five to six foot uh you know by two feet yoga mat looking thing that you can put booties over your shoes and slide like you're a speed skater or a roller skater. Mm -hmm. And it's by far one of the best low impact um, and high intensity workouts that you can do. And anybody who's ever done it from professional to collegiate to Olympic athletes to Pilates enthusiasts to people in the nineties who, who used to do it in like the whole step aerobics area. It is one it's, it is a, a workout experience that that stays with you for your, for a few days because you, you definitely feel it. So, yeah. um, so it was a combination of that and just like your traditional classes with like dumbbells and kettlebells and battle ropes and rowing machines and, and trying to really have this low to high impact class experience that you can do seven days a week, eight times a day, you know, not, sure. not you can work out eight times a day, but how you have eight opportunities uh, yeah. to work out um, at our studio. So, and we also had a, a, a infrared sauna, experience because we do feel that heat is beneficial but just not while you're moving so we had a uh, this communal infrared sauna experience so um that was a big sell during the winter time because people can you know what we say earn their heat after they uh, they chill with us in the fridge that's awesome so how would you begin to advertise the new studio when it was finished to obtain some of your first customers yeah uh getting people to warm up to cool temperatures was not easy so yeah. you know i knew with my background as a copywriter you know you have to you have to sell them emotionally, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, the first step on the path to make things better is to make better things. And that's a, that's a quote from Seth Godin in his book, this is marketing, which I highly recommend to anybody who wants to uh, build incredible things to help, uh, incredible people. Okay. Um, and so we knew that we had to find a different way to have this conversation. So at first glance, people are like, Oh God, the cold, cold is scary. Cold, cold's a threat. And I don't blame them because we've been trying to survive the cold for millennia, like in, in, in these bodies that we have, like cold has been a threat. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to exercise, like when it comes to just health and wellness in general, it's actually an ally um, from cold showers to cryotherapy to, to, a, a, you know, cold plunge to, um, to, to exercising in, in cooler temperatures, to sleeping in cooler temperatures. Uh, your life is better because of it, not, mm -hmm. not, um, not, not the opposite. So, you know, language like it's a crisp fall morning, not a dark wintry night or, you know, punny sort of stuff that gets people to pay attention. Yeah. Um, you know, I got to tell you the novelty of our brand being the only studio in the world and, and actually one, uh, you know, one, the only studio out of 38,000 fitness centers um, in the, in the country at that time to do what we did. We, we had, a spotlight on our studio right from the start. So it was our responsibility to, to earn the title as the first mover in this space. And, For sure. and we did, and we, and, and we got incredible press and I, and, you know, from the New York times to Vogue to having Ryan and Kelly 
um, come come through our doors to you you name it. Um, awesome. We we were relevant in every season. Uh, in summertime, we were your go-to choice. In the fall, we were you know we were we were exactly what we were in the fridge as as it was outside. In the winter, it was actually a breath of fresh air because you went from you know below 32 degrees into a 72 degree lobby into a 50 degree fridge, which actually felt great instead of going from cold to hot to cold. Yeah. Um, and then again, relevant again, back in the spring. So, uh, we were on track of really expanding this concept beyond our flagship location. And we're discussing, um, opportunities to scale and then COVID happened. Oh man. Yeah, for sure. So, from a customer standpoint, what does the experience look like, such as classes offered and sign up process? What does that look like as a customer? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're accustomed to boutique fitness, it's a it's a higher price point because it's a more of a specialized form of uh, you know uh, of exercise. So, yeah. you know, we were we were on the lower end price point wise because I wanted to make this accessible. So, you know, anywhere from twenty six to thirty six dollars a class depending upon how many classes you buy Mm -hmm. um we had memberships we had um you know we had partnerships with class pass and and other another um you know geo-targeted uh companies to to really get people to to buy into you know what what we were doing um you know you would have to reserve ahead of time um, you know, you would wait in the lobby before you'd be greeted by the instructor about what to expect in the class. Then you would all walk in to the fridge and then walk out sweaty and confused why you had such a great time in 50 degrees, you know, and yeah. then you would come back for more. Um, so that was sort of it. And, um, you know, we were thinking about how to create new verticals with our company. Like how could we imbue a cool experience, not just in person, but also at home, yeah. you know, what products and services make sense around our brand and we were thinking those those thoughts um and obviously us following through on them have been accelerated by the you know by the state mandate to shut down we actually shut down two days before we were told to um in march but we had to get creative otherwise we knew that we were gonna you know have to have to close our business for sure so yes following up to that i saw that you guys are offering digital classes which i really acknowledge and you guys also sell the burn board, which is the sliding board you were talking about. So what does that customer experience look like now if they can watch it from home? Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, the burn experience, um, it, it, you know, I'm not asking to turn up your air conditioning and, <laughs> and to slide back and forth. You can. I do it. It feels incredible. But, yeah. um, you know, the way that I get my chill on at home is either through, a, a, you know, it's, it's, it's through cold showers because <clears throat> my wife uh, hasn't approved of me getting a cold plunge yet. And as I say, happy wife, happy life. So sure. I'm going to, I'm going to uphold that. Um, so yeah, the burn board, because it was like the show, like really a signature experience in our brand, we were being asked throughout the course of us, you know, being open from 2018 to, to, to March of 2020, which by the way, over 23,000 people had come through our doors. We had over 70,000 reservations. Um, so a lot of people, mm had experienced this, this, this slide board. And we were becoming just as known for that as we were for our cool temperature experience. So, so it was an easier transition to say, Hey, we're going to actually design workouts on and off this slide board with our burn at home. So, you know, burn at home, you know, you have the option to buy, you know, uh, you will have the option to buy currently 
th uh, you know, three different types of slide boards. We have a five foot board, which is recommended for people that are like five foot five and, and, and shorter. Mm -hmm. We have a, a, a six foot board, which is recommended for people who are like five foot five and taller. And then we have a five foot to six foot adjustable board, which is recommended for basically, basically households who are, um, you know, sharing this board and, and people who are, you know, of different heights in their household. So, okay. um, so we, so that, so that, that's that. And, you know, we have, you know, eight different categories of workouts. Um, some one, one's called slide, one's called cardio sculpt, one's called core, one's called boot camp, which is just sort of body part specific boot camp exercises that you can do with and without the board. We have a recovery class, which is more of like stretching and mobility. We have a yoga class. Um, we have a breath class, which is all about breathing meditations, which was something that we did in our studio. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and we're, and we're going to be introducing more as we go. So it's really some stuff that you can do seven days a week. We have a core class, stuff that you can do seven days a week um, and use this board in a different way um, to really better your health where you are right now, which is at home. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So outside of the temperature difference, what would you say separates Burn from your other fitness companies out there? I think the way that we approach fitness, you know, yeah. we like to talk about fitness without talking about fitness. And we, and we would joke at the studio, we said, we're cool because the thermostat says so, you know, we yeah, yeah. weren't a brand that felt like it loved that it fell in love with its own reflection. Um, we, we wanted people to feel like they knew us um, in, in that first impression, like to, to feel something familiar in a first impression, mm -hmm. we wanted to, um, be a cost effective option within a ridiculously overpriced boutique fitness, uh, community. Yeah. And, um, we always wanted the studio to be a proof of concept studio. We wanted people to know that, you know, we would like to be, we would like the studio to eventually be cash flow positive, which it was on track to, 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 to doing in, you know, again, like, in a few, you know, two short years of being in business, um, and to have it be a reference point for for all the other types of things that we would want to do with the studio, whether it be through a private, you know, scaling it privately um, or through a franchise model. So, um, so yeah, I mean, if you ask anybody who's come through our doors, uh, I think the first thing they'll they'll comment on besides our you know our inimitable experiences is how they felt when they walked in and when they walked out of our studio. Mm. Gotcha. So I like to conclude each episode with this. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, what would that be? Maybe something you've learned or regret just anything. Uh, yeah. So if you're somebody who's thinking of an idea, mm -hmm. uh, don't be a consider this. I, you are only as strong as the, uh, your idea is only as strong as the people that you share it with. Mm. Um, I couldn't have done this by myself. I didn't have, I didn't have the skill set to do it by myself. It was very challenging to share this with somebody, especially yeah. because it came from a very personal place. Um, but I realized that it wouldn't have come to fruition if I didn't let it out in the world and have it be, you know, developed with incredible people around me. So, you know, I would say, you know, they have, they say, don't be afraid to kill your darlings. Don't be afraid to share them as well um, mm -hmm. because your stuff will be better because of it. I would also say that um, it's a very uncertain time right now and who knows what the future holds, but what we do have control with is how we show up to things. And 
if you're if something's keeping up keeping you up at night uh there's a reason it's doing that and burn kept me up at night and i kept ignoring it because i was like oh no but i'm like a writer and performer and um, all these things i i took a step back and realized that make manifesting like burn into existence was actually an amalgamation of all the things i'm passionate about like being you know creatively through fitness um just changing the conversation through some sort of disruptive thought um i answered that call because i knew if i didn't it would it would somebody else would have mm -hmm. and i you know i did it for the right i was doing it always for the right reasons i wanted to make a difference um on a personal level the same way that my mom did as a hairdresser and knew that the fate of this brand wasn't up to me the same way that when a screenwriter writes a script or a novelist writes a, a book Mm -hmm. It becomes it becomes the people who who consume it, right? For sure. Um, and our brand eventually became a byproduct of the community that we created, and that's not something that I knew until I until I started this point. You know, so mm -hmm. um, you know the things that you create don't become yours after you create them. And also, dreams are hard when they come true. So sure. be, be prepared for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Burn at theburn.com. Amazing. And you can find our uh, our slide boards and, and uh, check out what we're doing um, at shop.theburn.com. And we're actually uh, giving our subscription, our at-home subscription away for free until uh, January 15th, 2021. So if you're just curious as to how this stuff looks, um, we're, I'm extremely proud of how we shot this content. Um, and you can visit it at at dot, oh, sorry, at home, uh, dot the burn.com. Awesome. Jimmy, thank you so much for that. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of starting small. If you would leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also follow starting small pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.